We're going to start a new series on the everlasting kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the kingdom and we're going to talk about it in detail. It's so big of a part of your identity. You got to know who you are in Christ, who you've been made, who he is, but you also have to know where you live because it's very important for a believer to get kingdom minded. It's really interesting. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time, but yet there's so little taught on it. There's so few books. I mean, we're talking, if you go into my library, kingdom of God, there's not very much out there. And yet, we are in, in the church age right now where we are, there is a huge identity crisis and part of it is because of that. Because if you don't know you're in the kingdom of God, then you probably have a very small revelation that you have been made righteous and what that means. So we're gonna really just kind of just lay a foundation and build on it. You know, this series will help your life. And uh, we'll go as long as the Lord wants. I kind of have a sense that this is going to be kind of a long series. There's so much. I could probably teach on this for years. There's so much in the Word about it. So let's jump back and let's go all the way back to kind of the beginning. So tonight, you might come out of tonight going, okay, we didn't, hold, we didn't really talk about the kingdom per se a whole lot, but I'm here to tell you tonight, although you might think that, we're talking about the kingdom. When you teach series... If, if you look at it, it's so cool for me because the way I flow with the Holy Ghost, it's just the way he works with me, he will build something. Every series builds something. And it's building all of our lives, precept upon precept. So let's talk first about John the Baptist's ministry, just real, real briefly. So here's John the Baptist, right? He's baptizing people. Now these people living, are living under the law of Moses, right? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Go ahead and turn there. We're going we're gonna to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to just take a quick look. Because what was John the Baptist called to do? He, he was called to prepare the way for Jesus. For Jesus the Messiah, who was going to change everything. He was going to make everything new. So he was preparing the way for that. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1... It says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said, repent, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. This Greek word means to change your mind, your will, and your purpose. He's, he's talking about a change. It literally means to change to a new way of thinking about everything, okay? He's talking to people who were living under the law of Moses. The Messiah, Jesus, was about to show up, and he was about to fulfill the law, and so now he's transitioning. This is a transition time to go from the law to faith, okay? So let's look at this. Repent. It literally means to turn away from their old way of doing things 
and to seek God and his way of doing things. In other words, to change our thinking to God's way of thinking. Okay? Now, now this is huge. To change from living under the law to living by grace through faith. Okay? The righteousness of the law, the, the New Testament says, it may be fulfilled in us as New Testament believers as we walk in the Spirit. Talking about our behavior. See, you've been made righteous, but whether or not you will fulfill the law and walk behaviorally as a righteous person, what does that mean? Fixed and immovable, right? It doesn't mean doing good. That's, that's more holiness than everything. But whether you walk that out, you'll have to walk out of your spirit. You'll have to learn how to live out of your spirit. Kingdom living, in other words, is a new way of living. And we as believers have to learn how to live in the kingdom of God. Because you know in the kingdom of God, there's no sickness, there's no disease. If you go to heaven right now, there, there's literally no, there's not one, there's not one practicing doctor, surgeon, chiropractor. There's not one. There's nobody walking around with a knee brace. There's nobody taking, you know, medicine as we know it. They're just taking the medicine of the word. There's no poverty and lack. There's nothing lacking in the kingdom. So, so we need to learn how to operate in this because guess what? We're all in the kingdom. But we need to learn how to operate in the kingdom. Part of knowing how to operate in the kingdom, you're going to have to know that you've been made righteous. Not developing in righteousness. No, no, you've been made righteous when you got born again. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, and we're going to start in verse 31. I just want to read a couple verses here. Again, we're just kind of laying a foundation that we could start to build on. Oh, the word says so much about the kingdom. This is what happens to you as you grow in revelation knowledge that you are in the kingdom. You become so aware in your spirit that you are so far above anything that could come against you. Things that come against you in life will literally shrink in front of you because your eyes will be on Jesus. So you got to know, I mean, things fall off of you when you learn how to operate in the kingdom. Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Israel, if you study types and shadows in the Bible, Israel is always a type of the church. 
After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. So this is talking about, I will put my law in man's spirit. Okay? And I will write it in their hearts. This is the Hebrew word for, I will write it in their mind. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This verse is speaking of the new birth. This is talking about a change on the inside of man. Right? You see that? God writes. How does God write his word on your heart? Because he says he will write it on our heart. Or in other words, he's going to write it on our mind. And it's real interesting when you study this stuff because many times when you, especially in the Old Testament, you're like, okay, is this talking about the spirit of man or the mind, the soul of man? Just, just give yourself a break and go, yes. Okay? Because this is the deal. I'm a spirit and I possess a soul. And I live in a body. But if, if my spirit left my body right now, went to heaven, my body would stay here. You'd be like, oh my gosh, what a church service. Wow, pastor left. But when I was in heaven, man, I'd be spirit and soul. So we break this down to study it, which we need to do. But never, just realize, don't worry, well, is this my spirit, is this my soul? For, just forget about that. Just, just let the Lord show you He's writing something on the inside of you. Why? Because literally, the word of God gets written on your heart, and then it's transferred and written on your mind. It renews your mind. So it's a process. How does he do that? You've heard me say this so many times. God writes his word on my heart. In other words, in my spirit, which affects my mind. How does he do that? As I speak his word and walk with him. Right? The Bible says in Psalm 45.1, you should look this up at the end of this verse. It says, my tongue is as the pen of a ready writer. So as I speak the word of God, God is able to write it on my heart. It renovates my thinking. So Jeremiah, then he says this in verse 34... Now, this verse explains why God gave us the new birth. Verse 33, he explains the new birth. Verse 34, he's going to tell you why. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Why are we able to know God? Because Jesus came and he died for our sin. And so the spiritual death, sin nature has been eradicated. And when a person receives that by receiving Jesus, now they can know God. Does that make sense? This is explaining why. God changes us, in other words, on the inside. Why? For the purpose of putting his word in us so that we can know him. 
God had to change us so that we can know him. See, the Holy Spirit could never have come into our spiritually dead spirit. We had to be born again, right? And, and this is the game. If you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. But if you've been born twice, you're going to only die once. It's the way it works, right? So Jeremiah is prophesying of this new day. I love, do you know what the word Jesus means? The word Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. When Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, I've come to reveal the Father. Well, of course, Jesus, your very name says Jehovah is salvation. So you see how out in the open it is? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we live in this, this time. We're, we're seeing Bible prophecy it's so clear that you're going, geez, what's going on, right? My wife asked me, what, maybe two, three years ago? Do you have any idea who the Antichrist might be? And I'm like, well, I've been watching this one guy. Now, we won't know. We'll know when we're at, you know, in heaven, you could either go, ah, pastor, wow, you guessed right, or, oh, you were wrong, right? And I'll say, whatever, I don't care, I'm here, you know? Better here than down there right now. Seven years from now, I'll be down there again. That'll be fun. That'll be awesome, right? But, you know, so there's this guy, the president of France, right? Emmanuel Macron. This first name means God with us. His last name means the mark. I'm like, if this dude is not the Antichrist, he's missing a great opportunity to be the Antichrist. <laughs> if he's listening to this message right now, wow, get saved, brother, right? Because So we don't know. But it's kind of amazing because he would fit. Lineage-wise, you could call him an Assyrian, even though you're like, you look at what you think an Assyrian might look like, but no, he doesn't look like that, but his lineage is that. Well, today, it's kind of amazing because we used to talk about, okay, when the European Union kind of formed, we're like, whoa, this could be the revised Roman Empire. Today, we're going, yeah, Definitely. Well, he got up today and actually pronounced. He literally said, what we need is a revival of the Roman Empire. Today he said that. And I'm going, that's amazing. Because, you know, the guy who will be the Antichrist will ultimately oversee the European Union. Now, it's kind of funny that he said that. Well, what does he have to do with it? Well, he's the president of France. Oh, yeah, but this year he's serving his term as the head of the EU. And he stood up and told all of his EU brothers, man, we need a revival of the Roman Empire, but we need it stronger. If he is the Antichrist, man, I'm telling you, when you read the book of Revelation, you almost feel sorry for him. Every time this dude turns around, he's suffering loss. Never gets it off the ground. Why? Because who's he serving? Satan. Why am I saying all this? Now I know why. I didn't know at first. Do you realize Satan is a loser on a level that no other created being has ever experienced? He's a pre-Adamic loser. This guy was cast out of heaven even before Adam and Eve were ever created. So don't fear him now because he's under your feet. 
And you live in the kingdom of God where he has no access to. So as you learn how to operate, he will not be able to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. And if you've suffered lost in your past, okay, just say no more. Right? And by the way, Satan, you've got to bring everything back that I've lost. I'll guarantee you there's not one of our brothers or sisters that will be walking around heaven going, man, I suffered this loss in my life on the earth, and I'm just never going to be able to get it back. Do you know that will never, nobody will say that. Everybody will be just like, wow, God has restored everything, and I'm going to enjoy this. Not for the few years I was on the earth in my physical body. I'm going to enjoy this for eternity. Another thing, way you could say this is John came to tell people that we're turning from the world system and we're turning to God's system. Why am I saying all this? Because we have to build a kingdom-mindedness in us. So let's look at some kingdom principles just to kind of throw them out there then we'll get in, get in some more scripture here. The purpose of Jesus coming in the flesh was to bring the kingdom of God to earth and place it in the hearts of men. The kingdom was to, he brought the kingdom to this earth and now the ultimate goal is for the kingdom to not only consume the whole earth, but it's to be in the hearts of men. Okay? Keep that in mind. The kingdom... The kingdom of God is the original assignment of Jesus. Wait a minute, Pastor. No, no, no. He was coming to die for man's sins. Yeah, that's part of it. But he was coming to establish his kingdom. Adam, Adam gave it away, and Jesus came back to reestablish it. The message of Jesus is a message of the kingdom of God coming to this earth. So principle number one about this kingdom. In creation, man was to administer the kingdom of God on the earth. God's plan for man was to administer his kingdom on the earth. That's what Adam and Eve were to do. Okay? We've created this thing that we call religion. And Christianity, it's classified as a religion, but it's classified from the world. If you look at Jesus, man, he was so loving to people, right? People that the world would consider not worth anything. But there was one, one group of people that he really, wow, he would hammer them. And that was the religious leaders. Look up the word religion. Literally means to bind. Wow. What does Jesus come to do? To make you free. Right? This word seems originally to have signified an oath or a vow to the gods of the day, whatever. It consists in the performance of duties we owe directly to God. Yeah, do we owe him everything? Absolutely. I mean, are we bound to the Lord? Absolutely. But not the way religion says. 
Because religion says you better do this to be accepted by God. Christianity is God did everything. He came looking for us. That's the only way we could ever be accepted by him. Does that make sense? But we get messed up with this behavior thing. And we start to think that our behavior is who we are. And if we do that, we'll never see who we really are. We'll never know that we've been placed in this kingdom. We won't know how to operate in it because we won't think we're worthy of it. And the reality of it is, we've been made worthy, the Bible says, by Jesus. My worthiness is not on my own. If it was up to me, man, no kingdom, right? But he made me righteous. He gave me an inheritance. So this is huge. Realize this, religion never answers man's questions. A relationship with God is where all the answers are found. Right? Religion won't ever answer your questions. It'll ask a bunch. Principle number two. The fall of man was a loss of the kingdom of God on the earth. Got to understand this. Adam gave up the kingdom of God. He gave it all up. That's why Jesus called Satan the God, small g, of this world system, right? Now, don't, don't think he's the God of this world. We got to get this right. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, right? But no, the world system, he still has authority over. If you don't believe me, just go home and watch some news. Watch some of that stuff, right? Just remember the scripture. God has not given you the spirit of fear that is knocking all over your life, right, if you're watching that nonsense. Principle number three, the purpose of redemption was to restore the kingdom of God on the earth and then to restore man into the kingdom. Does that make sense? So the redemptive plan of Jesus was to restore the kingdom that was lost the kingdom that man had originally been given by God. God's will is really not for man to be in heaven. Right? I mean, we're going to be there. Let's say the rapture of the church happens in our lifetime. Well, okay, we're going to be there for seven years. But guess what's going to happen? We're coming back. Right? We're coming back to this earth. Our brothers and sisters that are up there right now, they're coming back to this earth. God's will will be fulfilled when man is ruling and administering his kingdom on this earth. Okay? Just keep these things in mind because as we start looking at scripture, all of these things will be filled in. When man is ruling and administering in other words, the kingdom of God, he's, in what he's doing, he's literally ruling and administering the government of God on this earth. God's plan has to do with goals laid out to accomplish his ultimate purpose. So we're going to see all this. If we have time, we might go into some scriptures about our future. So now let's look at salvation. Salvation includes all these redemptive acts of God. The promise of the Messiah, 
the fulfillment of that promise through Mary, right? The coming of Jesus to this earth. Jesus growing up and giving his life on the cross. But see, Calvary, we get so fixed on this. And is it ultimately important? It absolutely is. But Calvary, here, I'll rock you with this statement, was not God's ultimate goal. Calvary was one of the goals in the plan of redemption. See, remember, we have to look at this. In other words, Calvary is not the gospel. But Calvary is a big part of the gospel, right? That does what? That leads us to the good news. Calvary actually leads us to the good news, the gospel. What is that? The everlasting kingdom of God. The kingdom has come to this earth and God wants to place it in the hearts of man as people get born again. It's a huge part. Probably the most important part because without it, we couldn't have any of the other stuff. But don't stop there is what I'm saying. God created you for the purpose of using you to administrate his kingdom. And this is where we're greatly missing it because we've got a ton of believers that are just living their life at 900 miles an hour in 2022 and they, they think they are what they do. They think they are the mistakes that they've made. Well, Tony, who are you? Well, I'm a pastor. No, 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 no. If Jesus would be like, time out. No, no, no. No, who are you? Well, I'm a pastor. No, that's what you do. That's not who you are. Well, you know, I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. You know, I work for this company. I'm, I'm a machine operator. All this, yeah, we're disguised as all these things. But we are all in full-time ministry. And we are down here to administer the kingdom of God. Because when you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, you know, okay, you know, let's talk about your promotions at the company that you work for. Nope. Now, now those works that you did while working, because there's works that you're to do. Your, your work is to be like a form of worship. You're to do it by faith. You're to do it in love. God will call you where your fruit is so that you can bear fruit there. Do you notice that what you do many times, it's a desire of your heart because there's gifts in there? But what is your number one title on this earth? I am an ambassador for Christ. That's what your number one title is. If you figure that out and get that right and actually learn to trust God and put him first, God says, listen, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, which, what is that? My righteousness, well, my way of making you righteous, which is faith, if you'll put that first in your life, I'll add everything else to your life. That's how come prosperity, the prosperity message, listen, if, if I'm listening to somebody teaching these scriptures and I am getting kingdom-minded and I'm all about, man, I need to learn these principles so God could flood money through my life so I could further, I love that. But man, if I'm listening to somebody and all it starts making, it starts connecting with my flesh, 
about, you know, I could have a bigger house and a bigger... Listen, it doesn't come that way. The blessing of Abraham, you even see it in the Old Testament, the blessing of the Lord would overtake somebody. It, it, what, you never chased it. So if you get on TV late tonight and you've got some guy telling you, listen, I'm going to send you my sock, and as you wear that, the blessing that's upon my life, but you got to send me $1,000. No, run. And you say, well, no, surely that would never be on TV. Oh, yeah, they got all kinds of stuff, right? You see some dude in a, in a garage filling up his little vials of olive oil. He has Bertelli, and he's filling them up saying, oh, this is from Israel. And if you, and if you put, you know, if you anoint your wallet, I remember in my college and career group, I had this professional level drummer. Great guy, came out of the world. He had this beautiful drum set. So he's just so excited about being saved, puts it in the church, and he comes to me and he's like, this was when I was in Southern California. He's like, man, Tony, can I talk to you? Can, can you possibly talk to the pastor? Can you tell the pastor to please, don't let these people anoint my drums with oil. Because it, it's just a mess. So funny how we get into this stuff, right? God created you. I, I can't say this enough. God created you for the purpose of using you to administrate, his, or administrate and administer his kingdom on this earth. In other words, you are an ambassador. You are an administrator of the kingdom of God. So we should know something about it. Right? Does that make sense? An administrator or an ambassador is one given the responsibility through delegated authority and through power to execute decisions on behalf of another. And who's the another? God. In other words, God has given us the responsibility, but he's also given us the delegated authority and the delegated power to administer, to execute decisions on his behalf. We do that, I mean, literally, you are to operate in the kingdom of God. And this is why so many Christians are begging God, please heal me, please bless my life, please help me. And, and God's up there going, I did, I did, I did. I did everything. Now it's your, you take the name of Jesus, the authority I've given you, the power that I've given you. I blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I transferred you out of the delegated authority of darkness. I put you in the kingdom of God's dear son. I've literally given you a measure of my faith. And I've given you my word, which enables you to be a partaker of my very nature. Now you do it. Go, you speak it. And I'm, I'm up here, I'm watching. Not only am I up here watching, my spirit's within you. You never are separated from me. And I'll perform everything that you speak out of your mouth that you believe in your heart. That's what God is saying. That's why God told Moses, you know, here's Moses, here's Mo, man, the greatest miracle. The whole nation's healed at the Passover. They come out of Israel with this incredible wealth. They go to all their masters. Hey, can I have all your jewelry? Yeah. They're just loaded up. It's a picture of us getting saved. And they come out of Israel, right? 
They come out of Israel, and all of a sudden, I mean, they're rejoicing. I mean, could you imagine the guy who lost his hand, and he ate the Passover lamb and woke up the next day, and his hand was there? There was not one feeble among them. They were all strong. Even the elderly were strong. They're walking out, but then they come to the Red Sea. And, all, and Moses is a type of a New Testament believer. Why do we know that? He was a friend of God like we are. He spoke face to face with God. And he was given a rod. Why was he given a rod? It's the type of the name of Jesus. It was used to deliver the children of Israel. And now he's at the Red Sea and he's got this sea. There's probably, they say up to 7 million. I think it was probably 2 or 3 million, but I don't know. We'll know someday. I just hope we get to watch all these videos, you know? <laughs> I have a feeling it won't be videos. It'll be high-tech stuff, right? We might even be able to go there. I don't know. But anyway, he's standing at the Red Sea, and man, the most powerful army in the world is coming to kill them. Pharaoh and his army is coming to kill him. So he, he, you know, he's like going to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord. I mean, he tells the people, listen, I mean, he's bold. God's going to deliver us. And he goes to God, he says, okay, God, deliver us. And God goes, why are you complaining to me? Use what I gave you. And Moses, use the staff and part the Red Sea and walk over on dry ground. Could you imagine? Like, like Moses had the ability to part a sea, dry the ground so that, no. God says, you use the staff you use my name, and then right after it, right after he told Moses to do that, it says, and Moses used the staff, and God parted the Red Sea, and they crossed on dry ground. Just like when you lay hands on the sick, God heals them, and they recover. That's exactly, it's a picture of New Testament. So, okay, so, so now let's just jump all the way back to Genesis 1. Let's jump all the way back to the beginning of how God created man. Now, we've talked about this a lot, but we can't talk about it enough. You have to know that you are an ambassador and you have authority. If there's something trying to steal, kill, and destroy, you have the authority in the name of Jesus to stop it. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image. That means in our resemblance. In other words, you know, God has hands. He has front parts, back parts. He has a face. We look like our father. I can't wait to see him. Wow. The Bible says at the great white throne judgment that when God walks in, it says the heavens flee from him. The glory that's upon him is unbelievable. But we're made in his resemblance. And let us make man after our likeness. In the Hebrew, this means let us make man after our conduct and our function. Let us make man after how, we, let us make man to behave like we behave. That's how come the New Testament says be imitators of God. Well, what is a big thing? How does God operate? Because we're made in his image. How does God, the one true God, the three who are one, how do they operate? They do not operate individually. They don't operate, or I shouldn't say this, they, they operate individually, they don't operate independently. They, they operate as one. So God the Father comes up with the plan. Aerial view of the Bible. 
God the Father is always the one that comes up with the plan. Jesus carries out the plan. He's the creator of all things. The Holy Spirit reveals the plan. It's the way it always works. If you give in to your flesh and you are flesh ruled and you, what will start happening? The minute you get your eyes off Jesus, you will start looking at natural things. It'll start bumming you out if it's not good or it'll excite you for a little season while it is good. But don't worry about that. It's not going to last very long. It's gonna, you're going to go through some stuff and you'll go on this roller coaster all over the place. And, and the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace, right? So, so we got to get this right. And this is what will happen when you start looking at natural things. You will start trying to reason and figure out what you need to do to fix it. And Satan loves that because eventually there's going to be things in your life that you just can't fix. And then what are you going to do, Right? God wants you to look to him for everything. The Holy Spirit of God who comes upon you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see on Sunday as we go through that series that the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything for you. He does everything with you. Think about what the enemy does. If you start getting in a wrong place, he'll start trying to get you to distrust everyone who you should trust. If you get planted in a place where you're starting to get equipped with the word of God and starting to grow, man, he'll try to get you and woo you out some newer, better, or just woo you out with offense or whatever. He tries to separate you from everything that's helping you. That's what the enemy does. So it says, after our likeness, see, you've got to know your image to walk in right resemblance. You have to know, wait, I am made in the image of my father. Now I'm not God, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Right? The authority I walk in is his authority. I didn't create it, it's not my authority. The righteousness I walk, on, walk in, it's not my own righteousness, no, it's his. And it says, look at the first thing God says though, and let them have dominion. This literally means the right and power to rule and govern. It literally means sovereign authority. And then he tells the parameters. Over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. That sounds funny because Satan is a creep. God just called him a creep. Verse 28, jump down there, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Bring life back to something that once had life. Refill the earth and subdue it. Conquer it is what that word means. Bring it under permanent subjection and disable it from future rebellions. Why did God tell them that? Because Satan had been cast to the earth. Satan was here. When the earth was, was without form and void, guess who was still walking around on it? But that was kind of a boring place, right? Well, guess what? We learned from this that there was something here before Adam and Eve. But just like he's wanting to do now, he wants to destroy it. But he can't do this. 
And it says here, not only subdue it, but again he says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air. Now look at this. And over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Wow. You're out hiking in Colorado, and all of a sudden a mountain lion jumps out there. You better know your authority, because you have authority over that mountain lion. Go in the ocean. I mean, I always take authority. I don't want anything to do with a shark. Now, the little sand sharks are cute. We go to this beach, and sometimes you can find a school of them, and I like to walk with them. They bump your leg a little bit. But, you know, they eat grass. I just don't want to mess with, like, the great white, you know, or any of that. But if I see one, I'm going to know the name. Actually, we take authority before because you don't see those guys coming. You know, most people never get, never die because of, a great white shark bite. I mean, they, you can, but if one really hits you, it's like getting hit with a Mack truck. You'd just die instantly. Those sharks don't really bite you. They just taste you. But the bummer is it like rips off half of your body, right? Because they're... <laughs> but we have authority over them. Oh, pastor, come on. No, no, we do. You have authority that nobody, nobody, if you know your authority, listen... There's angels that are signed to protect your family, right? Hebrews talks about that. So many Christians have never even read those scriptures. Job chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7, I'll just read this. We're just going to take our time today. It says in Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Okay? So Job was the first book written in the Bible. No, no, Genesis was, Pastor. No, you're just going because it's the first book there. No, the first book written was written by Moses. It's the book of Job. And way back then, Job is walking to and fro. Then you jump forward to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through verse 10, and the word of God tells us now in the New Testament, verse 8, be sober. This means think clear. Don't, don't be moved by your emotions. Be moderate. Don't go to extreme. This is what this Greek word set means. See, many times people are tempted to say, let's just get out of here. This doesn't feel good. No, 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 no. Be sober. Because we got Christians running away when they should be standing. Amen. No, no, I'm not running away, Satan. You're running away. Right? People moving all over the country because it, you know, man, I just got to go to a better place. No, the problem is, I'll say to you what God said to me. When all I was thinking about was a change, he's like, Tony, the problem is wherever you go, you will be there. <laughs> be sober, be vigilant. That means be ever on your guard. Jeanette and I, we were talking about that today. How easy it is to not be on your guard. We're to be ever on our guard. Why? Because your adversary, your anti-decus, your adversary... This, this word literally means one who is violently opposed to righteousness. That's a bummer because we've been made righteous. 
he does not like us, right? Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about. Even in 2022, he still doesn't have a car. He's still walking. Don't pick up that hitchhiker, right? He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I always thought, well, you know, he has no teeth, so he just, all he could do is gum you. But this Greek word, when I studied it, it literally means, devour means once the lion has eaten his prey, he laps up the blood. So don't, don't sit here and think Satan can't take you out. But he could only take you out if you let him. He can't take you out without letting him. So who's going to help you keep all those doors closed? Oh, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's going to always show you. That's how come we've got to live sensitive to him. We've got we've to literally humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Why? So that we're sensitive enough so we don't flee when we're not supposed to. So we don't have blind spots, right? That open doors. It says, whom resist? How do we resist him? Steadfast, that means strong and stable in the faith. And we resist him knowing that the same afflictions, the, this word afflictions means sufferings. The same sufferings are accomplished. That means they're executed, they're performed in our brethren that are in the world. In other words, we stand steadfast knowing, man, I'm not the only one he's coming after. He's coming after everybody, right? Because I'm telling you, Satan will always tell you, listen, don't talk to anybody about this because you're the only one that's going through this, and it's a lie. And if you'll let it, every time you go through something, God will bring several people into your life that could literally go, listen, I, could, I feel what you're feeling. I know I mean, I know this, and, and, and listen, this is what God did for me, and he's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you too. God is always working for your good. It says that are in the world, verse 10, but the God of all grace who's called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered, right, this word suffer means to be affected by something from without. After you've suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Which means that God's will in everything the enemy will ever try to bring at you, he will see to it that it perfects you, establishes you, strengthens you, and settles you. Now, are we talking about sickness and disease and all this other stuff? No, 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 no. We're just talking about his attacks. Satan's defeated. Everything he does to come at you, will, it'll, it'll literally propel you forward. Your dominion only works in the area that you've been given. Now, one thing you're going to see as we talk about the kingdom of God, you're going to be like, wait, are we, is this series about the kingdom of God or about the authority of the believer? Well, you can't talk about one without the other, Right? Your dominion only works in the area that you've been given. I mean, you know, Torian, you work in the area of cybersecurity. 
could you imagine if one of the marketing department guys came up to you and said, hey, listen, you know what? I want you to drop everything you're doing. I, you know, we have to increase sales. You look at him and kind of with a weird look on your face and go, what, you know, because a guy in the marketing department does not have any authority in the cybersecurity department. Does that make sense? So this is so important. When, when Jesus sent out the 70, they learned the boundaries of their authority as they walked out. You're going to learn exactly the boundaries of your authority. I have a measure of authority in your life because I'm your pastor. It's just a measure. I'm telling you, people, it's, it's amazing, people who are hungry for God, how all of a sudden, like the other night, man, there's a lady in our church, and she came up in my spirit. I literally, I had to get out of bed. I went and sat in my office, and I was just declaring things. You know, she's, she's facing She's facing some, some challenges in her body. And I'm like declaring things and, you know, walking around my office and declaring things and, and all this stuff. And I know I'm saying what God wants me to say. That authority as a pastor, there's other people that they're just living their own life, they're doing their own thing. I try to pray for them and it's hard. Many times I'm like, okay, Lord, I... There is no unction to pray for them. So I'm going to pray in the spirit. Can you help me? Because I really, if there's any way to help them, I want to help them. There's measures of authority. What are we talking about? Kingdom. You're in the kingdom. Don't speak bad about the company you work for. You're in the kingdom and you have authority. If you don't like it, then use your words Go to the Lord. He'll give you utterance to change it. That's how we have, we, have to, we have to get this right. We were born to be a ruler. When you get a revelation of who you are, then nothing in this world will control you. See, this defines our identity in Christ. Knowing who you have been made in Christ this is the first thing it changes. It'll change your attitude. When you know who you are in Christ, it will change your attitude. You will go from the cup is half empty to, wow, the cup is half full and that feels good, to, wow, my cup, even though it looks dry and empty, it's overflowing. I know it is. Amen. Right? Knowing who you've been made in Christ will change your attitude. This brings understanding to the delegated authority that you've been given in Christ. So, so very important. Hallelujah. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there tonight. Guys, God's made us. He's made us conquerors, right? I mean, 1 John 4, 4 says, listen, Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 5, 4, what does it say? Whoever's born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, right? The Bible says we could submit ourselves to God in James 4, 7, resist the devil, and he'll flee like he's in terror. God has given us everything 
that pertains to life and godliness, you're not going to get it. You've already got it. And the Holy Spirit will help you walk it out. And that's why we preach the word, right?